Welcome to the Exhibit A Podcast. Hello, you've tuned into Exhibit A, uh, where we discuss informative and interesting legal topics. Uh, my name is Don Schweitzer. I'm your host. And today we're going to talk about a topic that many of you will find, I think, interesting if you're interested in the profession of law. The topic, if I have to name it, will be the makings of a family law attorney. Uh, right now, there's thousands of people throughout California waiting for their bar results. And knowing that, uh, especially since we've got a couple of law clerks in our office that are waiting for bar results, I thought it would be interesting to examine what it takes to become an attorney and what the process looks like. And I'll start off with a story. Many, many years ago, I was a police officer. And as all police officers have, uh, I had the experience of hanging out with a lot of deputy DAs, attorneys, young attorneys. Uh, when I became a detective, I was in court a lot, and I was especially spending lots of time uh, working with these attorneys, and I was just mesmerized. I'm like, how do these people get to be who they are? Uh, they knew the law. Uh, they were so sure of themselves. And at the time that I decided to become an attorney, I went to law school thinking that just maybe in a matter of six months or so, I would magically become like them, my, my heroes. Uh, one, of, one of the attorneys I worked with was Randy Pulowski. Another one was John Anderson. These guys were in the gang unit. They were so good and so special. Uh, and it, you could just look at them and tell that you know they were different than the rest of us. They understood the law, and they were very sure of uh, what was right and what was wrong. So anyways, I'm in law school. And I'm struggling through all these very difficult courses, you know, uh, real property, contract law, uh, constitutional law. I, I didn't feel like Randy or, or John. In fact, I felt pretty much like Don Schweitzer, and I wasn't an attorney yet. Uh, but I have to say that after my first, I think it was my first year, and especially after my second year, I had the opportunity to do some law clerking, and the light bulb went on. And I realized that really to become an attorney, it's a two-step process. You have the school, the legal part of it, which is a lot like boot camp, quite frankly. And then you have the practice of law. And, uh, you know, and so that's what I realized, that the becoming of an attorney is, is more than just going to school. It's about going to practice, having a mentor, hopefully. As a point of reference, what a lot of people don't realize is that the institution of uh, law school is fairly new to the United States. In fact, the, some of the greatest lawyers in the history of America never went to law school. Uh, my favorite would be Abraham Lincoln. Uh, many people uh, probably know the story of old Honest Abe that he grew up in the log cabin and he studied uh, law. He never had a teacher uh, teach him law. He had a mentor, though, so he did do law clerking. Even going further back, we have Thomas Jefferson. A brilliant, brilliant lawyer who was classically studied in the law. He had a mentor uh, telling him what to read and how to study, but he didn't attend law school. So, you know, I, th I think that sometimes we think that law school is everything, but it's not. I mean, it's really important that people who want to become attorneys have opportunities to law clerk and mentor under senior attorneys. And it's a win-win situation. In our firm, we have a practice of bringing in uh, bright people, people that we think are going to have a future with our office and make great attorneys, and it's really a good fit. So um, that's why I brought in my guest speaker today, Stephanie. Stephanie Trebonino, uh has been clerking with our firm 
uh, for quite some time now. She came out as an intern. And she took some time off in order to study for the bar exam and then take the bar exam. And she's back with us uh, as a senior law clerk waiting for bar results. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Don. So my first question to you is, is how are you feeling right now? I mean, I know that you're waiting for this awful thing to take place that's going to be at the end of November where your heart's going to be racing, I presume, and you'll be waiting for this exam. Uh, do you feel nervous? Definitely. I feel so anxious, but I'm just so ready to find out. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we have an honest uh, person here. I, we actually had a, a law clerk, believe it or not, uh, several years ago, probably about 10 years ago, that uh, had passed the bar in the state of Illinois. He came over here. He didn't take a, a bar review course. And as he was working, he would take spend a couple of hours at lunchtime looking at his Barbary cards. Mm-hmm. And one day he comes into my office and he goes, you know, I think I got it. I think I have it. He was so confident. I think he's going to fail, man. There's no way that this guy's going to pass. Believe it or not, he passed. Wow. Okay, but most of us are human, right? Yes. You know, and I could tell you that I was so nervous that I could barely work in that month going up to it and stuff. So uh, welcome to the human race. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you're, uh, you're feeling these nerves because I think that that's more natural, actually. You know, So uh, Stephanie has a very interesting background. She is a graduate of UCLA, both her undergrad and you got a master's degree. Yes, my master's in public policy. Okay. And your uh, minor, or not your minor, your bachelor's degree, like a lot of lawyers, was mm-hmm. poli-sci. Poli-sci. Which is interesting. Uh, why do you think a poli-sci degree fits well with the practice of law? I think it entails a lot of reading and like analysis, trying to figure out what to write in an essay. You, you read all these books, all these philosophers, and then you pick what applies to the topic. It just really teaches you how to narrow in on like what you're focusing on. Okay. I think it also is, it shows that you have an interest in how the systems work, the yeah. government, and how, how the orderly governance of our, of our country is. And that fits well with being a lawyer. Because yeah, we, we, as officers of the court, that's what we are. We're, yeah, exactly. we're upholding the system, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of like government information, government work. And then that relates to the law for sure. Okay. So you get your bachelor's degree. And then you go and get a master's degree. Correct. And the master's degree is in? Public policy. Okay. So that's more um, economics, analytical work, statistical work uh, regarding like public policy and government work, what programs work best and how cost efficiency. Yeah. And then, then after that, or maybe while you were getting your master's degree, you started working. So after my master's degree, I worked for the city of South Pasadena for about two years. And it was their community services department. So we were planning all the leisurely schedules, all the classes, all the city events. I was responsible for Doggy Day and Cats 2 event. It was a pet adoption event. Okay. I'm sure that applies somehow to what we're <laughs> doing here at this law firm. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to mention with your work uh, is, is that a lot of lawyers uh, that I know have had you know, some careers between their bachelor's degree and going to law school. And I heard this before I entered the legal profession, but that it actually helps. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I could actually say, say that it does. I mean, that life experience really means something as you're dealing with people and their problems mm-hmm. and stuff. So that's good. Uh, one of the things that you're really known for around this office, and I, by looking at your resume, I could tell that in law school it was too, true, too, is you're a very talented writer. Um, you, you did really well in the moot court competition, which is the intramural competition. Uh, and, I, you know, your writing here has been exceptional. Uh, when did you discover that you were a good writer? 
uh, in law school. <laughs> um, we took a laws class where they teach you how to do legal writing, and my professor was excellent. And she, it was a small class, so she, you know, gave me a lot of attention, and she really encouraged my skills. Um, she's the one that nominated me for the award, so I think that's when I discovered that I could actually be a good writer. Cool. Have you ever counted the number of years that you've actually been in school, young lady? I know. How many how many years have you been in school? Including undergrad. So it's about 10? No. Come on. Come on. Nine. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be. Well, what, no, you got 12 years of, of regular school. Then you've yeah. got four years of law school. Two, how many is it for your master's? My master's was two years. Okay. So, and then you've got three years of law. Three you've got about 20 years of school behind yeah, you. Yeah. So now you know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not trying to get into that. Okay. <laughs> One thing I don't want to do is get in trouble by getting into that area, but I, but I I do think that it's uh, it's interesting that you know people that are well schooled spend most of their or all of their childhood and some of their their adulthood studying. Yeah, and that's where you've been in school my entire life. Okay, so how does it feel knowing that nobody could ever force you to go back to school again? <laughs> I am just so excited to be working and to be putting all these learned skills into actual like practical use good good um, i know that a lot of my peers when we left law school felt that we will never take another exam again yeah because uh, that's what being a student is all about right the unfortunate thing is is as you're going into family law or any uh, specialty there's that specialist exam, exam. so there's the mm-hmm. possibility of one other exam in front More of exams. you exams so um right now because you just studied for the bar and you probably studied really hard. Yes. In your head, you have it all together right now. You know the law better than I do. You know the <laughs> law better than most professors. It's all making sense to you. I remember when I was in law school that, you know, unlike in your undergraduate years where things start piecing together and you can see a big picture, mm-hmm. law school wasn't like that mm-hmm. until the very end yes. and when you're studying for the bar. So yes. right now in your mind, you could piece things together. So I'm going to take advantage of that, oh, no. that knowledge, okay? <laughs> And we're going to have a little fun with that, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. This wasn't on your law school exam, okay. but I'm going to give you a practicum. Okay? Because uh, I know you studied criminal law uh, as, as a lawyer, and so you got it all in your head. Let's assume that there's a young woman that's on a dating site. Okay. And she meets somebody, uh, a, a man who's a few years older than her. He looks handsome. They have a very nice correspondence back and forth, and they agree that they're going to meet for dinner. Okay. And they come to Pasadena, California, Old Town. They go to a, a fine restaurant. Okay, they've never met before, uh, and their conversations with each other are only through email. But they mm-hmm. agree that they're going to have dinner, and if things work out, then they'll uh, see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a Saturday night. She walks into the restaurant. Uh, she sees uh, the man, and she recognizes him because his photograph was on the uh, social media site. Mm-hmm. They introduced uh, each other. Uh, they, they introduced themselves to each other, sit down, and begin a small talk, and suddenly the menu comes around. Okay. Are you following me so far? Yes. Okay. On the menu is some pretty expensive items. Okay? Steak, lobster, you know, mm-hmm. all the fancy stuff, and including the fine wines and fine drinks. And both of them can, uh, proceed to order a nice meal. Okay. Okay? Now, at the conclusion of this meal where they've had steak and they've consumed bottles of wine the bill is about two hundred dollars okay and the woman says you know what i got a uh phone call that i've got to make (laughs) and she gets she says excuse me and she gets up and she walks quietly out of the restaurant and the man is at the table and he is waiting for her to come back Mm -hmm. 
And he looks at his watch, and it's been 10 minutes. She doesn't come back. And he looks back, and now it's 30 minutes, and she still hasn't come back. And he asks the waiter to have somebody look in the restroom, and she's not there. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that she left. And he pays the bill and goes home very sad. Now, are you following me with these facts so yeah. far? I know this wasn't on the, on the bar, okay? <laughs> okay. What, if any, law did that woman break? That's very interesting. Well, I mean, as far as a contract, there was no contract. Um, as far as criminal law, maybe larceny by trick. Ooh, she, I like it. You know, she lets him think that they're having dinner together. So, so what do you have to prove for larceny or for theft? Um, a taking. And, oh. A specific intent to take. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, she didn't really take anything. Okay. Well, I'm going to play uh, defense attorney. You're yeah. saying that, hey, you're going to prosecute her for, uh, for larceny, right? And who's the victim in the case? The, the date, the okay. gentleman. What happens if she just didn't like him? Or she thought he was being offensive, and she didn't want to make a scene, and she politely bowed out. Mm-hmm. There's no agreement who was going to pay ahead yeah, of time, right? there was no agreement. There was no... I mean, would the date be considered, like, consideration for... Oh, an you're agree- good. I love it, man. She's digging. I like it. Okay. You probably heard about the story in the newspaper recently with the Dine and Dash character, right? The guy who, who was doing that to women. Oh, wow. So I'm going to switch it on you. Okay. Let's say that evidence shows that prior to this evening, uh, this woman has done it nine different times, oh, wow. nine different men. Yeah. Uh, do you think you have enough evidence to, to prosecute this person? Yeah, that's more of a pattern. That shows, like, motive and a unique... Like, yeah, that's definitely more of a, a case against that person. Okay. Well, you're the defense att- – I'm the defense attorney. Okay. okay. And you're the judge. Okay, Your Honor. Um, my client is a – as you can see, a very handsome man. Okay. And the women just want to meet with him, right? And uh, they had an arrangement that, you know, we'll see who uh, – you know, how this goes. But there was no discussion who was going to pay. Mm-hmm. He assumed she was going to pay – all these women were going to pay for him. Are you buying it? No. Why not? <laughs> well, I'm very old-fashioned. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I believe that it's assumed that the man is going to offer to pay. But, I mean, that's not a legal defense. Um, no, if he's done it more than two times, there's definitely, you know, an intent to defraud people like that. Okay. So so what our uh, audience should know, that in their real-life case, which was recent, mm-hmm. uh, there was two occasions, I believe, where he, uh, the woman didn't have the ability of paying, oh. so the so the restaurant took it. And there's some you know defrauding the innkeeper and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Uh, believe it or not, the prosecutor initially charged this gentleman with felonies. Oh wow! And uh, the the local judge reduced uh, them to misdemeanors mm-hmm. and dismissed several of the counts. But he's still looking at uh, these charges. He's he's recently pled not guilty, so oh, we'll have man. to watch that trial. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, wouldn't you love to be on that trial somehow? <laughs> That'd be so interesting. <laughs> okay, so um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is is your experience as a uh, law clerk in a family law firm, because you've clerked at a lot of different places. I've looked in at your background, mm-hmm. and I noticed that you have uh, been a clerk at two different, uh, I think they're nonprofits. Yeah, Legal Aid Foundations. Okay, one was in San Jose, yes. and one was in Los Angeles. LA. Mm-hmm. So, and you've got a really a wide variety of experiences thus far, right? Uh, you were also with the DA's office, a hardcore. Hardcore. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the other internships that you did? 
Um, so I did a street law clinic where it was uh, going to a local high school and helping kids transition into like a college experience. So teaching them how to apply for financial aid, to apply to colleges and to start like their work careers. Um, and then I did an immigration um, nonprofit in Los Angeles. And then I did housing law advocacy in San Jose. Okay. And so if you were to look at somebody that was just entering the legal field, what would you tell them that you gained from these experiences? Definitely each place had a new learning experience. I think that you get to learn more about the field of law that you're entering and whether you want to pursue that as a career or not. And, um, for example, housing advocacy was more, um, you know, verbal advocacy with opposing counsel, a lot of written demand letters, whereas immigration was a lot more, you know, filling out forms and uh, keeping up with the changing law. So you definitely learned about the different aspects of each area of law. Okay. So I, in some ways, you got to look at the various uh, areas of law that you could possibly practice yes. and see what really fit for you, exactly. it sounds like. Yeah. I, I think that what a lot of folks do is they graduate law school and they just take a job and they don't realize that part of the process is figuring out really where you should be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the law degree is very versatile, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to litigate. You could be a transactional attorney. Yeah. You don't even have to practice law. You could use your law license for a variety of things. Yeah. And stuff. So that's cool. When did you start clerking? Was it after your first year or during your first year? I would say it was the summer after my first year. Okay, good. And did it give you confidence when you went back to school? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you feel like, hey, you know, I did some lawyer work. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer yet, but I kind of got my, you know, a little taste of what's going on. And you learn to pick up on what's important. You're not stressing out about everything. You know how to focus on, like, the important things. Yeah. You kind of feel like uh, you fit within the profession. It's not such a mis- mystery to yeah. you. Yeah. So going to the process of becoming a family law <laughs> attorney, okay, yeah, you, you interned for us during the school year, your third year school, yes. school year, and uh, now here you are. What is it about family law that attracts your attracts you. I mean, you could have done a lot of different things, but mm-hmm. what is it about this practice of law? I think it's interesting because, I mean, usually we deal with issues of dissolution or child custody, things like that. And that's usually the hardest time in someone's life. And that's why I entered the field of law, because I want to be an advocate for someone who is going through a difficult period. So I felt this really fit perfectly with that. You know, people are looking towards their attorney to help defend them in such a difficult situation it's their life you know so i think that's why i chose this field interesting so i have a kind of a theory about you know why people get into family law and i always say that you know we've had some excellent attorneys for our firm that after a little bit didn't really want to do this area anymore because Mm -hmm. of the stress Mm -hmm. um it's almost as if you have to be cut from the cloth to do this you know the same cloth as as the rest of us uh many i think family law attorneys uh you know, have experienced families that have been in distress, possibly children of divorce, you know, and things of that nature. Uh, but there's just something that just grabs you, you mm-hmm. know, about this area of law. Does the stress uh, of the clients uh, scare you at, uh, in any way about uh, your future practice of this law? I mean, that's definitely an issue to consider. You know, it's hard to not become too emotionally involved with the case. But I think that's what being an attorney is. You have to learn how to be objective. You know, you empathize with your client, but you also have to be the objective person in the situation. So I think that's definitely, you have to have thick skin in this area of law. 
Is there one area of family law that you've really um, said, boy, I'm really digging this. This is this is what I, I, I came here to do. Something that you've done as far as a, a type of topic. We don't want to mention the client names yeah, or, yeah. or their cases or anything like that, but is there something that, that you've really just enjoyed doing? I think the issues of move-away requests are really interesting because, you know, people are still individuals and they might be moving away for a job or to relocate. And then once a child's involved, that becomes very difficult. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's conclude with one other topic, if you don't mind. And that's going to be about you millennials. Okay. (laughs) I told you I was going to pick on you a little bit before you came in here. Uh, So uh, it just says disclosure. I've got two daughters that are about your age and uh, they're millennials, of course. You know, you're a millennial, right? I don't think I am. Okay. I think you are. Okay. So you can't get out of it. All right. right. So let let me ask you this is um, the top topic today. I mean, it was on TV. It was mm. in the newspapers. Papers was millennials are destroying divorces. <laughs> oh my God! There's like you know, people are gonna be happily married for the rest rest of uh, mankind. Yeah, man. we're not gonna have a profession. Did you did you see that? Topic? I, I didn't see that. Okay, that's interesting. Well, well, the story is is that just, you know the millennials are like shaking up everything. They're the children of us baby boomers, uh-huh. and we're getting what we you know taught them to do. Right? They're they're moving away from us, and they're they're not listening to us. And now what they're doing <laughs> is they're destroying divorces, oh, no. entire industries. <laughs> Um, does that scare you at all? Knowing that you're just starting the, the legal profession and, and going into family law and you've got these people that are going to be stuck married for the rest of their lives. No, I don't think that's true. I think like, I think millennials have a different idea of marriages and what love is. And, and then one day they'll wake up and figure it out. And, and so it's time to get a divorce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's interesting that, that you say that millennials are different, and it, it's true. I mean, they're they're getting married later, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, you know, so I, to me, when I see this study, because it was, came from a, a college professor, saying that you know they're destroying divorces, the divorce rates down because millennials aren't getting divorced. Well, you know what? Let's look twenty, thirty years, yeah. right? Because the one thing that we know in our profession is is that some marriages just aren't going to work out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, there's personal problems that people have had since the beginning of time mm-hmm. and they'll continue having that right yeah. interesting yeah no i think maybe the divorce rates are down because the marriage rates are also down like as you said millennials start focusing on their career and then maybe along the line they'll get married but yeah. i mean for for me for example marriage is not the priority it's my career yeah and that's i think a lot of attitudes of the young attorneys that i've seen come come into my office mm-hmm. cool well, Stephanie, I think I've tortured you enough. <laughs> I think uh, you've been very bold and brave and uh, cooperative, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, the next time man. we're going to have you on is after the party. Oh, results. man. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Thanks, Don. Okay, and thank you for joining us again for Exhibit A, and we'll see you next time. Exhibit A is produced by David Lindley at the law offices of Donald P. Schweitzer in Pasadena, California. For more information, visit us online at PasadenaLawOffice.com and all social media platforms.